Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. I hope you're all having a blessed day. I haven't been feeling too good for the past couple days. Eh, got a lot of emotional tension as well as it being extremely hot outside. Don't worry. We got our air condition fixed due to Kent Hoven having the air conditioned people calling us up and giving us good tips and suggestions on how to work that. I find myself quite a bit um, contemplating life as well as death. You know, a lot of people out there, that's the last thing they want to think about. They don't just want to spend a couple minutes thinking about what it's going to be like when you take your final breath, whenever you're suffering, whenever you're getting ready to die. For me, I've never been afraid of death. I don't know why it is. It's not something that bothers me, but I know that it scares the hell out of a lot of other folks out there. And I remember thinking to myself whenever I used to be an atheist, what is the point of doing all that I was doing if eventually I'm going to die and then the lights get turned off? Everything I worked for, everybody I love, any relationships I tried to accumulate or flourish with, it's all going to be gone. Even whenever I had my children and I was still skeptical, I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do for them? I'm going to die. They're going to eventually die after they've lived their life. And I guess everybody gets to a point, don't they, where they just say, well, it's something I can't get around. It's something I can't escape. No matter how far I run, I cannot hide. Death is going to happen to everybody. I think for me, the fear of death comes with the idea of I don't want to leave people in shambles whenever I go. It doesn't really matter to me either way. I, I know some people are going to be a little surprised to hear this, but whether I die and I go to sleep permanently and there's nothing there, it doesn't really matter to me. If I do die and there happens to be this eternal place where there's no pain or suffering and no more tears, that's great too. I have a lot of questions for God. I've had a lot of doubt all my life. And I do look forward to the idea of one day being able to understand God more intuitively, being able to comprehend the plan. And uh, there's a lot of things about this life and this world that I've lived where I know that I would, um, like millions of others, want to sit down with God and really figure out what's happening, what's going on. Of course, if there is an afterlife, then that means that life has literally just begun, that this life that we have is nothing more than just dust, nothing more than a candle flame that's blowing in the wind. And uh, that's when life truly begins after you are gone. Basically, welcome to eternity. There's so much to learn. And because I won't have a physical body, I assume I'm going to be able to explore the universe and whatever universes God may have created, see life forms that I would never have been able to see in my limited perception of reality on earth. 
That's if God, of course, got around to creating more than just humanity and the animals that are around us. I remember going to different funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, and you always see people dressed up. They always clean the body up, and then they put the suits on and, and all this. And I got to thinking to myself, geez, for the atheist people in my existence who have passed away, they've been all prettied up and all dressed up, but no place to go. How sad is that? I mean, if you know that you're not going anywhere, why even bother? I've often been irritated too at the concept of the expense of funerals. I don't understand why it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to put someone in a box and then dig a hole for them and then drop them in. I don't really like the idea of having my body burned either or cremated. Even though if I were to have that happen, I'm not sure that there's anybody I can count on that is living that could take my ashes and do anything good with them, such as, you know, spread them over the Virgin Islands or something like that, or in the ocean, where little goldfish will just, you know, num, 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 you know, finish me off. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It seems to me, I've told my wife uh, quite a few times, I said, honey, if I die, why don't you just put me in a garbage bag and put me out by the corner, let the trash people come and take me out to the waste. It just costs her as much as one single sewer and trash bill. So, I don't know. Why bother? I don't understand going to Christian funerals either. When you go to a Christian funeral, the person is dead. They're gone. Their soul is no longer there. Their soul is no longer there, just the same as an atheist. There's nothing. It's just a carcass now. It's just a, an empty vessel. Some people say, well, that's for other people. It's for other people's grieving period or mourning you can look over the body of someone and I guess imagine them imagine what they used to be like and some of the things they did one of my other grievances with funerals too is a lot of people it's kind of like Christmas where everybody pretends to get along but they don't really want to be there type of thing and people are on their best behavior usually at funerals and I also uh you got to love it whenever people lie about the person, too. Nobody ever goes to a funeral and says, man, the person was a real piece of shit. The person was awful. They were terrible. They were irresponsible. They were incompetent. They made everyone around them feel uncomfortable. Um, it couldn't have happened to a better person. No, everybody tries to make up some shit about the person. For whatever reason, we like to lie to ourselves. And death is so sacred to some that we got to make up bullshit in order to appease or feel better when we're in a crowd. But I really don't, uh, I don't fear death. I just simply fear what I leave behind. I fear that I may have misled somebody or caused some issue. I've told my daughter and my son as well as my wife that my biggest fear is I need to make sure that my family's taken care of before I go. 
I want to be able to basically know that my family can be independent without the need of having me around. And so far, it's starting to get to that point. My son's got his own home. He's got his own truck. And he's got a good job. He's been doing well. He's got him a woman in his life. And he's ready to rock and roll. My daughter, she's still trying to figure herself out and what she wants to do. But we've got some ideas for her. And I know my wife will do just fine. So that has uh, that's dealt with a lot of a lot of aggravation. One of the things I got to thinking about whenever I was an atheist, though, is no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter how many videos you make where you mock people who are religious, no matter how many times you laugh in a person's face and tell them they're delusional and mental Ill, mentally ill, in the end, you lose no matter what. If an atheist is correct, and their worldview is right, and it all lends, lends itself to, <clears throat> we all die and that's it, and that we get flushed down the toilet of the universe, then you don't win anything. All that time you wasted during your life blabbing and carrying on and being rude and ignorant to your own family members and friends or strangers on the social media, in the end, you're going to die, and that's going to be it. There's nothing for you. There's no reward. It seems like time is the only thing that you have, and time is fleeting. Of course, if the atheist is incorrect, and it turns out for a fact there is a God, whether it be Jesus Christ or Allah or one of the many different gods or many gods out there such as the pagans believe in. Every single religion out there has some form of hell and punishment and consequences. Some kind of karma system set up. I've often had atheists say to me, Brett, what if uh, it's not the God of the Bible? What if it's the God of Islam? Personally, when I read the Quran, which I have quite a few times, I can see remnants of the God of the Bible in it. In fact, the Bible actually mentions Muslims. You can actually go look at that. Apparently, they are the children of the concubine and Abraham. They are the basically the family that was sent out into the desert whenever uh, Abraham decided to uh, make love to a woman that wasn't his own wife. Basically, the Bible refers to them as the the bastards, the bastards of the human race. However, God promised them that he would take care of them and they would be kings of men and all this, and then they would go on to becoming one of the most flourishing groups that the earth has ever seen and one of the most powerful. Well, if it turns out there's another God out there, um, one of the biggest similarities that you'll notice with a lot of these different religions out here is they simply ask that you do unto others as you want done unto you. To treat people right, to try to do positive and good things, and that is something I've tried to do all my life. 
So I suspect whether I'm standing in front of any of the patriarch of gods or one god, I know that I believed and I um, have always been open-minded towards a higher power or an intelligent designer. And I can honestly say that I loved and I gave everything that I could. You know, I did the best I could. But can an atheist say that? Can an atheist stand before a higher power and say, yeah, I did the best I could. I treated people good. I treated people kindly. Or will the God make mention of the constant deluge of that person mocking and insulting people who are of God or gods? And the non-believer has to answer like that. You see... It's kind of like a, I've always used the analogy that life is like a roller coaster, right? It has its ups and downs. You might as well stay buckled in and finish to the end and enjoy the good moments as well as the bad moments as they come. But it's also a lot like a gambling casino where once you are born into it, there is no leaving. You may lose everything. You may gain a bunch, and then sooner or later, everything you've accumulated is going to be gone. That's how casinos work. They don't work just because they want to give you free money and have you have an exciting life. They're going to keep you around until they've drained you of everything that you have, and that's what the world is, basically. It's like a casino. It's like a a giant rock floating around space, a, a flying graveyard just waiting to devour and eat us all. And it seems to me that the atheist loses either way. If it turns out God is real, then they, they're they going to suffer under the consequences of whatever that God is. And they can't say that they were truthful about their views or their ideas. They rarely ever listen anymore. They're so busy arguing and running their own mouth that their ears are not able to multitask. However, if they die and it turns out their worldview is right, they get nothing. So what is the point of all that? What is, why even bother with that? An atheist might say, well, Brett, you know, it's, it's about the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is either way, you're going to get annihilated. You know the truth. You're going to be destroyed. Whether you're right or whether you're wrong, you're going to suffer miserably and then it's going to be, you're either going to continue to suffer forever and ever or your soul will be wiped out or you'll simply go to sleep and not even be remembered in the universe. It seems to me that if I knew the odds were against me like that, I wouldn't be arrogant about it. I wouldn't go, <laughs> and care if I seem smarter than other people in a discussion or debate, I'd feel very sad about my life. I'd be very sad about my existence. And I would try to listen to anybody out there that offers a different opportunity or another advantage over what it is that um, this existence has to offer. I never understood that when you look in the eyes of some of these people, and they're so prideful and arrogant. I used to call myself, a, whenever I was a non-believer, I used to prefer calling myself a truth seeker over that of an atheist. Because an atheist talks about 
the very definition is about what you lack as a person, about knowledge that you don't have, is where truth seekers a more positive assertion that talks about what it is that you're about. I didn't like describing myself as a Mickey Mouthiest, okay, folks? <laughs> you know, someone who doesn't believe in Mickey Mouse, okay? It's like, uh, who are you? What's your, what do you do for a living, Bob? I'm a non-golfiest. Okay, so you don't play golf. Great. What can you do? What are you good at, though? What is your skill line? Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a nothing believer. What does that even mean, folks? That's ridiculous. <clears throat> no, I don't. Uh, I don't fear death. I don't like, uh, obviously it kills me inside to watch other people suffer and die. It hurts me. I feel like little pieces of me disappear into the fragments of the universe every time someone I care about goes. I feel like a part of my soul, while I'm actually alive, has been annihilated whenever I lose somebody important to me. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like something, <clears throat> whether you're an atheist or whether you're religious, when you see someone you love or you care about vanish from this world, don't you feel that what's happening inside? Do you feel as though there's something important about you that is left? Not just that person, but something inside you literally packed its bags and went with them into the grave. You ever feel like that? A lot of these young people out there who haven't lost their mothers and fathers yet, there's nothing like sitting there thinking to yourself, man, that was the woman who gave birth to me, and now she's in a box. That's my father. That's the guy I played baseball with out in the yard a couple times and threw a ball back and forth. I'll never have that again. Remember whenever your parent or guardian made you your favorite food or your favorite dessert? And you'd look across the table at them and enjoy and just slobber it all up. It's not going to happen again. Those moments are over. Now what? As many of you know, I hold the theological position of annihilationism. I don't believe that your soul is going to be tormented forever and ever. It's possible that I could be wrong, and it's also possible that there could be torment involved with annihilationism, and I know what some people will say. Brad, I thought you said annihilationism means that your soul is destroyed. Well, there's some. it's a tricky subject because... I don't know how long it takes for a soul to disintegrate. I don't know how much pain is involved in wiping out your identity and who you are. Taking out your entire ego. I don't know if it takes a millennium to wipe you out of existence or if it takes five seconds. I have no idea. I just don't believe that the soul is going to go on forever and ever. For the Christians out there who may have questions... Or who may try to find the very couple verses in the Bible that may direct them to the idea that there's eternal torment or whatever, or punishment. 
the concept of eternal punishment is actually something invented by the church. If you open up into older Bibles, even before that of the King James, you'll see that it says eternal destruction. Jesus Christ said, it is not my wish that anyone perish. Well, perish means to be destroyed, to be ruined beyond what you were identified as. The Bible speaks of a second death. In the Old Testament, as well as the New, it talks about the soul being destroyed. Even Jesus Christ said, Do not fear that which can kill the body, but fear that which can also destroy the body and the soul. So Jesus is making it very, very clear, abundantly clear, in fact, that your soul will be obliterated, annihilated, destroyed, devastated. The way I see it, ladies and gentlemen, while I've existed in this floating graveyard in space, while I've walked around in the casino of life, gambling away everything that I have, at least once it's time for the casino to close down, I have options. But an atheist has no option. They lose no matter what. It's like they play to lose, ladies and gentlemen. So the next time you're arguing or debating with a non-believer and they're laughing at you and they're calling you names or they're um, telling you that you're stupid or that your views are not logical and rational, ask them how logical and rational do you have to be to throw it all away? Spend your entire existence talking about which you don't believe just so in the end you can watch everything you love and care about die and then you get to die. Ah, doesn't sound like a reward. Doesn't sound good to me. Some people might say, well, that's a fallacy, Brett. It's a fallacy to say that. Well, you're the fallacy. I mean, you literally are the epitome of a fallacy. Think about it. Just because you don't like the way the questions are formed or the way things are expressed to you, doesn't mean that what I'm telling you ain't a fact. And that is the facts, ladies and gentlemen. Either there is a God, and you're going to deal with him, or you're not. And you're going to be non-existent and lose everything. Has anybody ever thought to themselves that whether there is a God or isn't, what happens when the world comes to an end? Tomorrow a meteorite hits the earth. Or something strange happens in the universe, some unusual anomaly. <clears throat> we always trust that the laws are going to stay consistent and that there's never going to be anything wrong. We never contemplate the idea of a black hole or some kind of void opening up and just swallowing us whole and us being completely wiped from existence. Does anybody ever even contemplate that anymore? Or are we so distracted by video games and movies and silly things like going to the mall that we forget about that the universe has been somehow chugging along this whole time? And not only is it fine-tuned, but it's also remaining fine-tuned. Think about that for a minute. You hear a lot of people say that things are arranged in a certain way in order for life and death to exist. 
But the fact that it's been doing it for so long, it tells you everything that you need to know. That while we're hurling at a billion miles per hour through space, dodging rocks and other galaxies and somehow surviving just fine, being able to have these summer nights, that tells me there's someone out there protecting us that cares. Because literally, we are like an ant on the tip of a damn bullet flying through the nothingness. We're just waiting to hit something or something to hit us. Isn't that fascinating? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope my <laughs> video was uplifting. I get to thinking all about a lot of things, um, especially whenever I'm sick and I'm stuck in bed. God bless. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. I hope you're all having a beautiful, blessed day. Out here, it's extremely hot. It's getting to the point where it's almost 100 degrees outside. I hate the heat. Ugh, it's terrible. Well, on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central, I'm going to be doing a live show. All atheists, all people of different faiths, including Christians, are welcome to come in my room and have discussion with me. Remember, everyone is welcome. There's always a link out in the comments, and there's already a link in the description for everybody to come in. You can debate me. You can have friendly discussions with me. We can talk about anything and everything from science to atheism to Christianity to faith to the universe, consciousness, entertainment, comedy, anything that you like. I'm a pretty laid-back fella, and I think I do a pretty good job as a host at least that's what most people say. Well, I figured I'd point out a fun fact for you all. Did you know, according to science, the natural world contains about 8.7 million species? According to a new estimate described by scientists as the most accurate ever. But the vast majority have not been identified. And cataloging them all could take more than 1,000 years. Yeah. 8.7 million species, ladies and gentlemen. You know, whenever you open up the Bible, it's fascinating. It tells you right off the bat, in the beginning of the book, written thousands and thousands of years ago, that God, who is also represented as an intelligent designer and prime mover, whenever he created us, he intended on us being the dominant species over all creatures that we would be the dominant living life forms that would exist on earth, capable of doing astonishing, extraordinary, unbelievable things. Even Jesus Christ in the New Testament said that we would do things that even God would be impressed with. Well, he didn't put it like that. He said that we would do things that would be beyond what it was that some of the things that Jesus did whenever he walked the earth. If you'd like a chapter and verse for that, I'll be more than happy to provide it for you. Jesus Christ showed whenever he was on the boat with Peter, and he decided to walk on water. He told Peter that if Peter had enough faith, he would also be able to walk on the water too. It seems to me that when we read the teachings of Jesus Christ, he told us if we had faith, 
even a mustard seed of faith, we'd be able to move mountains. And ladies and gentlemen, we've done some extraordinary things while we've existed. However, the atheists, they seem to believe that there's another alternative to all this. They seem to believe that we came into existence without any kind of guiding process, a blind process, a non-emotional, non-logical, non-rational process, and somehow everything just put itself together. But don't you find it unusual, folks, that 8.7 million creatures don't hold a candle to the extraordinary skills and abilities that we have. If the world, the Earth, was in fact 4.5 billion years, as scientists claim it does, as well as most atheists endorse or hold to the idea to, you would think by now one of these creatures would have rolled around in the magic mutagen that these atheists claim happened for us, causing us to have limbs as well as a, this uh, comprehensive brain and mind and consciousness to be able to create languages, to be able to have an enlightenment, an industrial age, all the fantastic things that we're able to do. Yet there isn't one single animal that can compete with us whenever it comes to intelligence. They don't even come close. If we were to put all the creatures on earth in a race with us, whenever it comes to our intellectual prowess, they would all be left in the dust. There are no creatures that have ever invented an automobile. There is no creatures that have ever been able to use a computer and be able to understand how it works. There's no creature out there that has ever farmed a land. There's no creature out there that has ever created a atom bomb or nuclear bomb or missile or any of these things. I think that a lot of us would agree that that's probably a good trait that animals have, that they're not going around creating these ballistic wars and, and such. But the point of it all is, is that you would think after billions of years, there'd be at least one creature that could compete with us on an intellectual level. There is not. And at this point, 2022, ladies and gentlemen, with all of the telescopes and the powerful lenses that we have floating around in space as well as founded on Earth, we have not seen evolution take place on any of the other worlds, none of the other planets. When we open up to the book of Genesis, we see that God seemed to create his plan on Earth itself and that we would be the dominant species. What variables and pressures in the environments did we engage with that all the other creatures just somehow missed? Why is it after all the cataclysms and all the environmental issues and all these strange changes to our weather pattern and environment, yet we're the only ones that seem to be affected to it to the point where we're walking around doing what we're doing We've got an education system, we have libraries, we have unbelievably huge architect. I could go on all day about the extraordinary things humans can do and what we take for granted. And unfortunately, in the end, none of these creatures can do any of it. Not even close. Not one single creature out of eight point 
1.7 million. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were to look under the definition of the word miracle, you, sir, and you, ma'am, would fit perfectly like a glove under that definition. You are that extraordinary. You are that unique. You may be small compared to the universe, but trust me, you got some pretty big numbers behind you. Well, we'll see if any non-believers have anything to say about that. What magic juices in the environment made us so sexy and everything else so, well, empty, hollow, nothing. God bless. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. I hope you're all having a blessed day out there. What you're looking at is what is referred to as a webcam. It's a device that you can buy at the store, and you connect it to your computer, usually via USB port. And then once you do this, you have to go into the settings. You have to set it up to the resolution and the frame rate that you want to use in order to record yourself. Most YouTubers out there know what this is. Webcams are basically smaller versions of cameras. You record yourself and this machine picks up all the information in the environment, and then it takes all that information, it transcribes it, processes it, and then runs it through usually some kind of form of software or something you already have installed on your operating system, whether it be Windows or Mac, whatever the case might be. The machine was made for a objective purpose and function. It was created so it would be able to pick up imagery in your environment or whatever it's pointing at or directed at. The information then comes back, it goes into your computer, and then it records. Some of these devices have the ability to not only record the video in the environment, but also the ambience and the sound. Usually these devices record in some high-quality form called WAVE or MP3, depending on what you set it to. They work exactly and similar to that of the eyeball that every human on the earth has. Any human, of course, that has functional sight. It is basically a sight device. It picks it all up, it records it, it sends the information to a storage unit on your computer. Did you know that your eyeballs work exactly the same way? Did you know that you're basically picking up information in your environment around you, and then your brain ends up processing the information and it stores it into memory banks, just like that of a computer? So it's difficult to understand why it is when you're dealing with skeptics or non-believers why it is they can't count the similarities that a webcam or even a high-powered professional camera has compared to your own eyeballs. They work in exactly the same way. They function and they have an objective purpose to them. The moment you get an atheist or a skeptic, someone who questions the concept of an intelligent design, to admit that our eyes actually serve an objective purpose and function, 
that they exist for the sole purpose of being able to gather information for us and be able to process it and then put it into a storage unit into our own body is unfathomable. How is it that they can't understand this? That just our eyes alone act as this mechanical operating system that is doing this. That our eyes exist primarily in order to serve this function for us and also be able to create the experiences and the memories that we have. The same can be said about all of our senses, our ability to hear. When we use a computer or any kind of mechanical device, it's not enough just to record the environment, the visuals, the light, the color, but we also want to hear what is happening. So we've created devices where we can hear the output and the information, whether we're wearing headphones and we can hear it through that, or we've created speakers where the output could be heard by many all at the same time. And all of these machines and all these mechanical devices offer much more similarity than any dead fossil from billions of years ago allegedly claimed by the skeptic. These devices sit right in front of us every single day. Sure, some people don't know how to use them very much, and others are extremely gifted. But the point is, is that there's a great deal of similarities. And according to skeptics, if something is very similar to something else, then that must be and also mean that they share the same material and the same product, right? I mean, that's what they tell us whenever it comes to primates. That's what they tell us whenever they're comparing us to slugs or some kind of creature we evolved from billions of years ago. They say, well, the similarities there, so that must mean that there's some kind of relationship or common ancestor between it. Is that so? The webcam has much more similarities than some of these creatures are that they point at. So does that mean that we evolved from a webcam or the webcam evolved from us? What we do know for a fact, ladies and gentlemen, that in order to have an operating system, a memory storage unit, as well as the ability to have logic and rationality, a mind is required. In order for a webcam to exist, we could never, in our wildest dreams, expect that something like this could come into existence all by itself. We know whenever we look at a webcam that it was designed. There are many different features about things that we look at, how we can tell that they're designed. They serve a function and a purpose objectively. We know that the webcam, or these professional cameras out here, were designed for a purpose, to be able to record the information, store it, and so on. I want to repeat that to make sure people understand this. So, now that we know this, look in the mirror. Look at yourself, look at your reflection in the mirror. What do you see? The only reason why you're able to see or observe your environment and that which is around you is because you literally have camera-like eyes. You're able to record that information. You're able to do exactly what the camera does. Why is that? Because you were built and designed to be able to act and behave in this manner. That is your function. Don't even get me started on the rest of your body. 
you literally have millions of billions, perhaps even trillions of mechanical devices going on in your body that are completely and utterly similar to that of the computer. Everything about you is technological. The conclusion should be the high probability that there is a designer over all things is through the roof. There's no way to get around it. None of the things that you use having to do with the computer or its devices or these mechanical operating systems, no one would ever dream or come up with the stupid idea that any of it came into existence by itself without some kind of mind or intelligence or some kind of understanding of how things work. Let's talk a little bit about your computer keyboard. What does that do? You type in the buttons that send signals to the processing unit and the computer has to interpret the information that you sent from your fingertips to the keyboard to the computer. And then the computer writes out the language that you put in it and it makes sense of it for you. Did you know that your cells and your by your uh, cellular structure actually does exactly the same thing. Your DNA actually has a language. It has to transcribe it. It has to be interpreted. The information is constantly back and forth. Your body literally has highways of technology going back and forth constantly, telling the processor in the unit, your body, how to respond to things, how to respect, react, how to ex express yourself how to respond to dangers and fear or things that are happening. And when you go to sleep at night, guess what? The computer doesn't completely shut down. It logs off, it signs off, and it's still running background tasks. And then in the morning, it's going to set off a biological timer that wakes you up so you can continue mechanically making it through your day. The computer, like yourself, has a language. It has information that is constantly going on. It is how you have your experiences. It's exactly how it is that you're able to identify a computer for what it is and what his brand is, is the same way that you would do a human being. You would understand that by the way it's displayed, the way it's represented, the way it works, the way it's commercialized as well as advertised. There's no way to get around it, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely nothing. If there are any skeptics out there or those who laugh at the idea of intelligent design, I would love for you to try to refute my argument, my point. Everything that I just said is absolutely undeniable. You cannot refute it whatsoever because I've given you nothing but facts. Not only have I given you the similarities, but I've given you every reason in the world to be convinced that you are a designed mechanism. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the video. God bless. And also, <laughs> by the way, a lot of these webcams are really nice. I would recommend Logitech. Very, very clean, very cheap. And uh, you can get one for yourself and start making videos immediately. God bless. Hey, Brett King, this is Father Charles. Um, I've called you again. I'm not going to keep uh, pounding, blowing up your phone. Uh, people in the Kent Hoven camp thought it might be good if me and you collaborated together. Um, 
I am, uh, I guess, if we had to pick a side, I'm on the side of Kent Hoven and company. So, again, this is this will be the last time I reach out to you. Again, I don't want to blow up your phone. Maybe uh, you need to get away from it all. But if you need to call me, uh, I'll be in the rest of the day. Uh, other than that, my schedule is hectic. My number is, uh, if the Lord so leads you, give me a call. God bless. My brother. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. The recording you just heard is a man by the name of Priest Charles. He's a really, really cool dude. And he's been spending a lot of time, along with myself, uh, counseling Cindy Lincoln. And we've listened to her story several times. And he's probably going to end up doing a video where he shares his experiences and what it was like talking to Cindy Lincoln behind the scenes as well as doing various videos with her where she's told her story over and over and over. At this point, Cindy Lincoln has been, uh, because she's been on my show, uh, she has been exposed to many, many different Christians and atheists out there, and she's had her opportunity to tell her story over a hundred times now through atheists as well as Christians. So I feel like that that's a fair amount of opportunity to be able to do this. It also tells me that this isn't really just about destroying Kent Hovind. This is about for her getting as much attention as she can to cause a smear campaign and cause as much damage as possible. Now, some of you out there are probably going to be asking, Brad, I thought you said you were done with this. You did a whole video where you said you were done and you even did a radio thing where you talked a little bit about some of your experiences. Well, the issue is, is I've had a lot of Christians call me on the phone as well as atheists. I have also talked to Kent Hovind as well as Sandra Hovind. And atheists as well as religious people out there want me to render a verdict. As you know, this entire time I've been an observer. I've been a listener. I've offered the opportunity for both sides to be able to get up and discuss their views and their discrepancies, the pros and the cons and all that. However, I have not made a judgment call. I didn't want to do that either. To be honest with you, I wanted to set it up to where at some point in time in our discussion that Kent would have access and ability to be able to come in and talk to all the people who have issues and problems with them and then work out their problems in a godly fashion and then go off into the sunset and live wonderful, beautiful lives. But after you listen to this extremely long video we're about to go through, you're going to discover that Cindy never had any intention or plans whatsoever to stop what she's doing. I think she's became addicted to the idea of having so many people listening to her and giving her attention that she just simply would not stop. And it's gotten to the point where she's made up accusations without absolutely no evidence whatsoever Nothing but hearsay, just so she could continue to be on shows and be able to spill her guts to everybody out there. Now, this isn't to say that she doesn't have a few valid points. We'll talk about that. 
But a lot of what she's saying is either outright lies or exaggerations or just ways to be able to get the audience to sympathize with her. And I will explain in great detail why that is the case and why myself as well as Father Charles sees it this way. Brother Charles is welcome to take my video as well as any atheist out there as well as Christian. You can copy my video down and you can put it on your own channel and you can... Um, if you want to try to debunk anything I say, refute what I say, or simply review it and tell why you agree with it and support it and talk about your experiences along with what I'm saying, you're more than welcome to do that. In fact, all my videos are available to the public. You can do whatever you want with them, providing that you do not try to take me out of context or edit me to appear to be saying things that I'm not, which some of you out there are malicious and like to do that. So as many people know, I, uh, I'd been watching Kent Hovind for a very long time. Um, I used to check him out back whenever I was a Christian. And when I became an atheist for many years, I kept track of him to see what he was about and what he was ministering about. And it seems to always be about his views on the universe as well as creationism, as well as evolution. Um, during this time where he was doing his thing, he was going over to Standing for Truth and he was doing over hundreds of debates as where Donnie was being the moderator. Since all this, Matt Powell, a young preacher, ended up getting connected with Kent Hovind and absolutely went down there. A lot of you may not know this, but Matt Powell actually asked me advice. He said to me, Brett, uh, Kent Hovind has invited me to come down there and do tech as well as be able to make videos with him and do all this. How do you feel about that? What do you think, Brett? I actually encourage Matt Powell because I always had a deep respect for Kent Hovind. And I believe that Matt Powell was a perfect mix to work with Kent Hovind. So I actually encouraged the young man to go down there and be a part of his ministry, and I felt like there would be a lot that Kent could get out of Matt and a lot that Matt could get out of Kent, and uh, that is where I stand whenever it comes to those young men. All right, so i seen Cindy out there. Um, this is how I interacted with her and engaged her. i seen that she was going on Atheist Junior's YouTube channel, as well as a couple other atheist channels, and she was, I seen her on Steve McCree, and she was basically roasting Kent Hovind over and over on channels that she knew were biased against Kent Hovind. I mean, I got no hatred towards Atheist Jr. I got nothing against the young man, but the issue is, is that it's clear that if you are to go do a show with him, you're getting on a show with a guy who absolutely abhors Kent Hovind. You're not going to get a fair treatment. Kent Hovind is not going to be treated with some kind of fairness uh, because of that. And on top of it, Atheist Jr. interviewed some of the disgruntled employees as well as volunteers of Kent Hovind's ministry of Dinosaur Adventureland. And Kent, of course, was not given any kind of opportunity whatsoever to be able to say his side or do whatever he wanted to do on this. This made things really complicated for Kent while all these accusations were flying around because Kent did not want to turn his YouTube channel, his ministry, into a drama channel. So he reached out to me because he noticed I was starting to do a couple shows where Cindy told her entire story. I interviewed her. 
When I originally reached out to Cindy Lincoln asking her why she's going on atheist channels, and I remember I don't got nothing against atheists. The issue was, is why is she going on atheist channels where these specific atheists have a deep hatred or animosity towards Kentoven? She wasn't looking for people who would be fair or balanced. She was looking for people that she knew would use whatever she told them to try to hurt the man as much as she could. And to me, that's not very Christ-like. That's not of God to try to cause as much damage to another human being as absolutely possible. Now, I know that Junior isn't going to have the same perspective as I do because he doesn't even believe in God. He's not a part of the Christian family by his own choice. So there's that. So I reached out to her. I engaged her. I said I'd like to interview her and hear her story. We got on the phone with each other. We talked. Immediately upon having conversations with her, I heard a lot of contradictions. I heard a lot of discrepancies. However, I continued to record her on my show and talk to her. And while I was on my second show, I started getting a little bit rougher with her and grinding her on some of the accusations that she was making. One of the accusations that she made was that Kent Hoven walked into her room and had a recorder device on him and that she didn't want to be recorded. So she started yelling and screaming at him as where the whole time throughout the entire recording that is made public for everybody to hear, she actually said God's name in vain. She called him names. She yelled at him. And then eventually she lunged at him while he was recording um, to grab his phone and he put his hand out and she slammed into his hand. He did not forcefully like put all his weight and strength in the knocker down. It was what we call inertia. When she lunged at him, she basically threw her body at him to grab that phone out of his hand that he was recording with. And by the way, it's important to mention that his lawyer told him to have the recorder device because apparently Cindy Lincoln had had a reputation for lying and exaggerating stories, and Kent simply did not want to get himself in trouble in a court of law. So he wanted to record to make sure that nobody could take it out of context or that she could just make up any brilliant story that she wanted to do in the process, which and would burn Kent Hovind and his entire ministry into the ground. I fully understand that. I fully understand why he would want to record that, especially if he was advised by his lawyer. If your lawyer tells you you should record, then damn it, you're going to do whatever your lawyer tells you to. That's what you pay them for, to give you the best advice possible to keep yourself out of shit. So he did that. When he went in the room and she lunged at him, he simply put his hand out so he could stop her from full collision. He did not want to get slammed into by the woman. He had no idea if she was going to claw out his eyeballs. He didn't know if she was going to tackle him, spear him, whatever. Granted, he's an extremely tall, powerful man, according to many people out there on both sides. He's a very tall, strong, he's, he's like an oak tree, all right? So you got her where she's about five foot, you know, nothing but weighing a quarter, running at this man at full speed, screaming and yelling and flapping her hands like a retarded duck, 
what ends up happening is is that when she hits him it's like hitting a brick wall and she falls to her back now she claims that he picked her up and body slammed her that somehow he did this with one hand one hand holding a phone and the other hand open now keep in mind ladies and gentlemen that this is a 70 year old senior citizen he's a 70 year old man all right a lot of people say he's strong and he's a hard worker and he's capable of you know leaping buildings with a single bound and he's as fast as a locomotive he's super kent right <clears throat> that's what people are saying <clears throat> that he is a very healthy strong man however it seems to me the logic tells me that if he truly wanted to hurt the woman while she's laying on the ground he could have easily stomped on her head he could have kicked her several times in the guts. He could have wrapped a rope around her damn ankle and dragged her out by a pickup truck and drove her ass down the highway, flopping up and down on the cement. <clears throat> but he didn't. He said, Cindy, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want this to be the deal. And he's still speaking in a very calm manner while this is all going on. You can tell that his heart his uh his heart level didn't go up that he wasn't stressed in a point to where he wanted to hurt anybody there was no violent words that he spoke there wasn't no ha 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 look at you now you you dummy you're laying there and all that he didn't say anything cruel to her and you heard no physical impact within the same recording that she has showed as well as him so it was a matter of her lunging at him and sadly she ended up on the floor by slamming into him like she slammed into a brick wall. It's sad, but there's also one other thing to keep in mind when it comes to the body slam criticism that has been put out there by folks who were not there. They were not there during the event, and even the employees as well as volunteer workers were not present to see what happened. We just had the recording to go for. Go for. But there's something you need to keep in mind. Not only has Kent Hoven been through several strokes and he only had one hand available to him, a body slam means that you pick someone up over your head and you slam them down on their back. There's two ways to do it. You can throw the person's body over your shoulder and drop them like a bag of potatoes, or you can put them up above you and bench press them above your head and then slam them down. If you want to see what that looks like, there's a wrestler by the name of Brock Lesnar, as well as The Undertaker, who's used that move several times. There's also a kind of a body slam, but it's called the choke slam, in which you grab a, the victim by the neck, you lift them up in the air, and then you drop them on their ass. None of these moves were used on her. It was simply him putting his hand out, and she slammed into it. When I explained to her that her definition and how she describes what happened is not a damn body slam, she refused to change the word. She knew that it was very explosive language. She knew that it was inflamed language that made it look like it was a lot worse than it was. And I told her over 10 times on the phone as well as on my show when she was exposed for this to stop saying the word damn body slam because it wasn't a body slam. It was, as I just told you. And she admitted it on the phone, but she continued to make recordings where she used the word body slam. So she told me in private, she said, oh yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Brad, I understand. Maybe I'll need to change that around, but then she didn't. It still went on to be in the body slam. 
Kent Hovind is 70 years old. He's never violently hurt or done anything aggressive to anybody for his entire life. Kent Hovind is over 20 years older than myself. And he's never once done anything. In fact, I'll give you one better on that. Joe never reported him for doing anything wrong. And I don't give a damn about these clowns out here who say, well, maybe Joe just didn't say nothing. I'm not going to use telepathic abilities or mind-reading abilities for something or use my damn imagination to try to make up shit that I don't know actually happened. You can if you want to. I won't. Mary Toko, whenever I talked to her, she said... I don't want to have any drama whatsoever. I don't even want to be a part of this. This is when we first talked. She said, I don't want to get involved in this whatsoever. We had a long conversation, and her views were she was mostly bothered because she felt like if she remained with Kent Hovind that she was going to go to jail. Her problem wasn't with Kent Hovind. Her problem was with some of the people that he hired. She was under the impression that some of the people that Kent Hovind had on his staff are worked with money and financial stuff, as well as the tech, were so damn incompetent that they were going to end up doing something stupid and then sink the ship and then Kent Hovind would go with it along with her. So that was her big fear. But besides that, she realizes now, after all these years they haven't been together, that apparently Kent went on to do just fine, and nothing went down, so she decided that she was just going to be there for her family, and she was going to remain quiet, never even come out. She didn't want to even come out. She said that to me several times. So it got to a point where I was telling Cindy, Cindy, you keep on using exaggerated language. You keep on exaggerating stories. Your stories keep on getting twisted. I don't think that I can continue to do this. And on top of it, I also suggested to her over and over, look, Cindy, you've used my show a few times to tell the stories and stories over and over. I said, a lot of Christians don't even believe you're a real Christian. Why don't you come out on the show and talk about your views of God and what you actually believe and all that. Cindy claimed that she would do that. But then whenever we got on show, she went right back to Kent Hovind's a jerk. Kent Hovind's this. Kent Hovind's that. And she spent rarely any time whatsoever talking about her views of God. She has almost 500 videos on her YouTube channel. And 98% of them are about her hatred and animosity towards Kent Hovind. Her big claim for everybody is that he stole her money. This is a damn lie, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what I got from it. Her father died, and she was given over $200,000. She also had other money and finances that she had going on. She's a person that likes to buy homes, and then she fixes them up and then sells them for more expensive than what they were, or she makes a profit off of it. And this is how she does things. I don't know if she's a professional at it, but she has claimed that she's had success. She researched Mr. Kentoven just as Mary Toko did before they got involved. That's right. For those out there that don't know this, Mary Toko is a researcher and she also engages people. She's a speaker. She goes out in front of audiences and she talks to people. 
Most of her things that she talks about have to do with vaccines and things like that and health having to do with children and what we put in our body. I'm not going to spend too much time getting into that, but she's got her own website. You guys can go look at it if you want to and see what she's about. She does DVDs and books and, and all that, and she's been very, how shall I say, active on her circuit doing what she's doing. A very intelligent woman, very smart, but I want to repeat this. She didn't want anything to do with this crap. It wasn't until Cindy kept on going at her and filling her head with all this stuff that, oh, Kent Hovind's saying terrible things about you on his videos. He's making you look bad. Your reputation is getting all tore up and all that because of Kent. The problem that Kent Hovind found himself in was all these videos that Cindy was bringing up, she was also bringing other people into the story so she could mount up more dirt against him. Like she brought up Mark Stoney, she brought up this girl named Julia, she brought up a couple different people, and also brought up Mary Toko. So what would end up happening is Kent Hovind and his people would end up watching these videos, and then they felt that they had to respond to it. If I would have been Kent Hovind, I would have stayed the hell away from it. I would have ignored it. She barely had any subscribers. Nobody was really watching her. And the only people that were really giving her any kind of attention were a couple of these atheists out here who were pissed off at the world. Had he left it alone, she wouldn't have hopped up 200 more subscribers and wouldn't have went into a growing spree on her channel. On my show... Yes, I will admit by having her on my show, that also didn't help. That brought up some of her views and subs and all that. But you have to remember when I started out doing this, I didn't know nothing about her the same as Kent did. I thought that she was a woman who had had some bad things happen to her. And as much crap as I've heard happen with churches and ministries, even though I'm a Christian, I couldn't just sit back and do nothing. I thought if there's any truth to what she's saying, I got to do something. I can't just be silent and put my hands over my ears and close my eyes and pretend I'm not hearing stuff. I've heard plenty of horrible stories about things that have happened in churches. In fact, I've been in ministries and churches myself where bad things happen and people did horrible things that you'd never expect. So I had to basically hear her side of the story. Let me take a sip of my coffee before we continue to get into this. Let me remind you all one more time that I did not want to have to pick a side. As far as I'm concerned, I picked the side of God every single time. I didn't want to do a rendering of judgment or persecution on anybody out there. But there's uh, some big reasons, not just because I was requested to do this by many different Christians out there as well as atheists, as well as Kentovin and Sandra themselves, but there's also a major reason that I'll talk about towards the end why this is going to happen like it is. So let me get back into Cindy and her money issues. So Cindy gets $200,000. She decides to come down, sell all of her stuff, come down to uh, Kent Hovind's ministry. Kent Hovind had been running this ministry for a long time before Cindy even walked into the picture. All right? Her and Mary Toko researched Kent Hovind. They knew everything about him before they decided to date, before they decided to volunteer, 
before they got all hooked up with him, they knew everything about him. They knew what he talked about. They knew what his ministry was about. And they even knew who some of the people were that were working with Kent Hovind. <clears throat> so it's not like they didn't step into something. They didn't know what they were doing, which is very suspicious, folks. It's very suspicious because it's odd that the very things that Cindy hates Kent Hovind about now is the very things that she already knew and claimed to love him to begin with. That's odd. It's a weird, extraordinary, complex story. She comes down, she purchases three homes with $200,000. Now, I don't know what the hell real estate fees are down in Alabama. Perhaps they're cheaper because of some of the illegalities of how things work. So I'm not a person who builds anything or constructs buildings or uh, compounds as someone claim it to be. Obviously, it's not a compound. It's an open area where people can come and go freely as they want. But <laughs> she buys three homes and somehow manages to afford all three homes under $200,000. Now, where I live, I live in a very cheap area. But even if you were to, let's say, purchase a trailer around the area, it could cost you thirty to $60,000. If you were to buy a home with a basement and foundation and all this, you're talking about $100,000 for a home in my area, and I live in the poorest part of Missouri. If you were to get a home with like four or five bedrooms, you're talking about going way over $200,000 into the $300,000 all the way up to a million dollar range. So she bought three homes. That's almost 70% of her money, and she bought them for herself, folks. Let's keep that in mind. These homes are not Kent Hovind's property. Not only did she buy the homes, but she also bought the property, which was acres of land. She's got big land forms where there's animals and creatures living on it and all that. This is not cheap, folks. So keep in mind that this is not Kent Hovind's property. It's her own houses that she owns. And she's fixing them up. She's going to sell them. And she's probably going to walk out of this whole thing with over $150,000 or more. And she might even make a higher profit off of that property alone. She then decides that she wants to make donations to the ministry. She bought a tractor and a bus and a bunch of other mechanical things that I'm sure are quite expensive. Now remember, she's already spent like 80% of her cash flow, and now she's buying a bunch of stuff for the ministry. Now imagine for a moment that you have a wife or a girlfriend or a husband, and they gift a bunch of things to a ministry. But then they get mad at the ministry a couple years down the road and then expect you to pay it all back along with interest. Is that fair? Is Kent Hovind a thief? Is that really what happened here? Did Kent steal all of her money? Or did she have full control over her money and decide to spend it on everything nonchalantly and do these things? Did she have a business plan already right off the bat? This is some of the things you need to question yourself about. Okay? Oh, let me take another sip of my coffee, folks. Actually, I think I'm going to hit the power raid this time. <clears throat> Imagine for a moment that you and your wife, you build something together. 
you put a bunch of money into it, your wife puts a bunch of money into it, or your girlfriend, and then a couple years go by, the person gets pissed off at you, they're not happy with you anymore, they decide to leave, and they say that they want all their money back on top of an interest. Is that fair? No. She's not sitting over there in a ditch, folks. Cindy is not sitting in some hole in the ground and she's living like terribly and horribly or anything like that. So don't think that. She's not living in a cardboard box. She's doing well for herself. In fact, according to her, she has enough money to go run around to creation museums and hang out at the beach with Mary if she wants to. So it's not how she represented it. It's not the story that a lot of you have been hearing out there. It isn't what it is. There's more than meets the eye here. So you've heard a bunch of recordings of Kent getting aggravated at Cindy, where you can hear staff members in the background arguing and all this. Let me ask you all something. You do realize that these recordings are after later events, right? I want you to keep in mind this. Imagine that you have a woman that continues to get on to you every single day, telling you, Kent this, Kent that, Kent, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. Well, after about 20 times of this happening, where someone's constantly blasting you in the face and the ears, you're going to get extremely irritated. It's going to be like, look, I told you how I'm going to do this. This is how I run my shit. And I don't need you telling me how to do it. Let's face it, folks. Kent is Dinosaur Adventureland. It's his ministry. It's his way of doing things. It's kind of like if you got a job and some person comes in that don't know a damn thing about what you're working on or what you're trying to do, and they're trying to tell you and to stand there and criticize you the whole time, it gets irritating after a while. It doesn't matter if you're a saint of God. Sooner or later, you're going to be like, woman enough. I want to do what the hell I'm doing. I'm going to be friends with who I want to. I'm going to hang with who I want to. And if I want this person to work for me, they're going to work for me. Sadly, there were some valid points that Cindy had. Some of the people that Kent trusted to do a job for him weren't up to snuff. Some of these people were garbage. Okay. They were. It turned out that some of them were garbage. But at the time, Kent didn't want to hear any of that. All Kent wanted to do was enjoy his property, enjoy serving the Lord, do his videos, hang out with people, you know, eat at his cafeteria thing that he's got down there, and just go about his day and just think happy thoughts. But Cindy was on him all the time. All the time. According to Mary Toko, her and Kent rarely had arguments. She said that it was a good relationship. It's just that she was scared. She was afraid she was going to go to jail. She was afraid that Kent worked with the wrong people and that these wrong people would sink their ship. Mary said that he never laid a hand on her. He never did anything wrong. It's just the people that he worked with. And unfortunately for Mr. Kent Hoven, to give some valid criticism here, Kent Hoven is not like a normal minister, ladies and gentlemen. Normal ministers 
on Wednesday and Sunday, usually, at least around in my area. They talk for a couple hours, they read some scripture, and then they go on their merry way, they go home, they spend time with their family. But Kent Hoven is a minister who's talking 24-7. He's constantly around people. He's opened up an entire property where thousands of people can come and visit, where he does tours, and on top of it, he's also helping people who have been on drugs, who've been alcoholics, people who are disabled because they've been hurt. Um, I remember talking to an older woman a while back that was disabled. She was paralyzed. And according to Cindy Lincoln, this is another story that she told. It's absolute bullshit. She told me that this woman slung her shit around a room. See, the woman's paralyzed. She doesn't even feel whenever she goes to the bathroom. She doesn't even know what she's doing. But according to Cindy, this same woman who was paralyzed from the neck down somehow managed to grab her bags of shit that she went into the bathroom with and was slinging it around everywhere around the house to sabotage her property. Really? How does she do that? How does a paralyzed woman do this? Is this some kind of miracle? Did Jesus say, stand up and walk and throw thy poop all over the place? And then when I went after her about that, I said, Cindy, how the hell does a paralyzed woman do that? I got to see her on camera. I spoke to her directly. How the hell did that happen? Cindy's like, oh, oh, oh. well, she didn't exactly do it. This guy named Steve grabbed the bags of shit and slung it all over the place. Do you see, folks, how far-fetched the story has gotten? It's ridiculous. Now, all of a sudden, the paralyzed woman goes back to being paralyzed, and now somebody's reaching up under the wheelchair, grabbing shit, and just flinging it all about like a rabid primate. Are you kidding me? The story was getting absolutely ridiculous. <clears throat> Let me get another drink, folks, so I can continue to get into this. And we haven't even gotten warmed up, folks. I hope you got your popcorn. So a bunch of you out there are probably wondering where the hell did Mary Toko come from then if she didn't want no drama. Cindy kept on babbling to her, kept on saying, Mary, this and that's going on. Kent's being mean. He's saying terrible things about you, and he's discrediting me on social media. It's awful. So Mary, being the wonderful sweetheart that she is, seeing Cindy like a little sister or something, I guess, Felt that she needed to get up there and sort the story out. But she never had her full heart into it. She never wanted to. But she got up there. She said her piece. And that was that. Everybody heard her story. It's short. It's sweet. And she doesn't feel the need to tell it a 100,000 times. She doesn't have the animosity that Cindy does. How did Mark Stoney get brought into it? And Julia, they got brought into it because Cindy kept on bothering them. I reached out to Mark Stoney because she said that he was a serious part of this equation. I got a hold of him on Facebook. He said, Brad, I don't really want to deal with this shit. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm taking care of my daughter. I'm trying to do things with my life and, and my anger towards Kent. And it really ain't there no more. I made my videos. I said my piece. I don't want to have anything to do with it. So that was that. I told Cindy he don't want any part of this. 
But Cindy kept on bothering him as well. And eventually he ended up wanting to get on video and clear his name because he felt that Kent uh, dishonored him in some kind of way. And unfortunately, Kent was put in that position because she kept on bringing him into the story over and over, as well as the Julia person. And then Kent felt like they're coming after my character, so I got to tell people what they're all about. Sad, but true. That's how it went down. Mark Stoney, to this day, he's cool with me. Me and him, we seem like we're on the same wavelength. <clears throat> he didn't really want to. There was another guy, too, by the name of Stephen Andrew, who apparently helped Cindy a while back on uploading some of those videos and learning how to use YouTube. Apparently, she didn't know how to do that. So the Stephen Andrew guy was having some problems with Kent for a little bit, and he helped her. And he had some bad experiences with Cindy Lincoln as well. And he also felt like there were some things he disagreed with with Kent. However... Apparently, like an adult, Mr. Stephen Andrew sat down with Kent. They talked their issues out, and now Stephen Andrew wanted to repent for what he'd done to Kent Hovind. So I did an interview with him, and he said, look, this is how Cindy is. This is how she behaves. And he also informed me something that I already knew. The same thing Father Charles told me as well. If you disagree with Cindy Lincoln... If any of you out there decide to, that you want to engage her, if you disagree with her or you question her, she'll become pissy real quick. You'll notice that she'll go from this really sweet, nice type of I'm so vulnerable and I've been violated attitude to you're an asshole. How dare you question me? How dare you criticize me? How dare you question my experiences type of attitude? As if you're talking to Sandra or Kent Hovind, they do nothing but minister to you. Kent, the whole time during these discussions, was like, Brett, do what you got to do. Let her say whatever she wants to say, and then I'll just simply respond to it afterwards. But I'd prefer responding on your channel because I don't want to mess up my ministry and the format that I got going on in my channel. I totally understood that. I know some people, they've said to me, Brett, did you know that Kent Hovind called your your show The Mud Show? Basically, where people sling shit at each other in mud. And he's right. My show was originally supposed to be about God, <clears throat> evolution, intelligent design, creationism, consciousness. I had a lot of topics that I wanted to talk about. I never once wanted it to be Jerry Springer, but folks, let's admit it. It turned into a shit-slinging match. It turned into mud. So when Kent said that, I wasn't offended. He's absolutely right. It turned into some Jerry Springer, Oprah Winfrey bullshit. Period. One of the other things that Kent Hovind said about his experiences with Cindy was he didn't like the fact that she cussed quite a bit. She used God's name in vain. Did she really do that? Yeah, she did. She did it while she was on the phone with me. She cussed, and I cussed. But the justification is, if it's good for anybody out there, is I'm new at this. I'm a new Christian. I still got a lot of work. I'm a work in progress. 
And I admit, whenever Kent Hovind or Matt Powell or one of these Christians out here say, Brett, you need to work on your language, believe it or not, I've been working very hard on it. I used to have a cuss word every single sentence when I talked back when I was an atheist. Now it's more like uh, every every paragraph you'll hear me say a cuss word. But I fully concede that I need to work on my behavior and my language as where Cindy thinks that she's perfectly justified, even though she's supposedly been ministering about God for years. There's some other things that you all need to know, too. Before Cindy got involved with Kent, she'd been married a couple times. She had had other husbands, and she also said that there were issues with drugs. So Cindy's past is not like some clean slate. She had a lot of really terrible things happening in her existence. And then she decided to hop on the Christian train and then head down to Kent. So she had a lot of baggage with her when she went down. She was almost just as broken as some of those volunteers before she even got involved. She wasn't always a minister. She wasn't like Mary Toko, where Mary Toko has been a Christian most of her life trying to do the right thing by God. That's important to realize, folks. The only valid points that Cindy has, and I think everybody out there will agree, including Kent Hovind himself and Sandra, is that Kent, let me put it this way. Because of the extraordinary thing that Kent has done, where he's debating constantly, he opened up a ministry where people move in with him, literally live right next to him, his privacy is non-existent. He can't go anywhere on Dinosaur Adventureland without there being all those people that he invited. He's allowed so many people throughout his life to live with him and amongst him that are broken and have so much pain and terrible things that have happened in their life that he's gotten to the point where I think that he filters what he listens to and what he hears. Listen to me very closely on this because this is a valuable message that you all need to understand. Imagine that all your life you deal with thousands and thousands of people and audiences and every one of these people have something wrong with them or something that they're hurting about inside. Imagine what it would be like trying to listen to these people without losing your faith or shattering or your psyche being bent all up and out of shape, constantly helping people. He's not a professional psychiatrist. He's a man of God who listens day in and day out to people. And because of his belief system, his theological Christian views, he believes that everyone has light in them and everyone is redeemable, okay? And when people tell him, you can trust me, I'll make a change, I'll do something in my life, Kent is not one of these type of people who will continue to grill you. He's not going to be like the guy who says, really? Are you going to change? Are you going to stop doing drugs? Are you going to stop committing adultery? Are you going to stop doing this? Are you going to stop doing that? He's the type of guy where he's like, okay, with the grace of God, if you are being honest with me and truthful and you want to change your life, 
then come be with me, walk with me, and let's find God together type of attitude. And that's the end of the conversation. That's how this man is. That's how his character is. He doesn't need to hear everything, your entire life story. All he needs to know is that you want to walk with Jesus and change your life. That's one of the reasons why I think it is that some of the people that he's worked with and some of these people that he's brought on his property, he trusted that they would do the right thing. According to Sandra Hoven, this is a man where he needs and depends on people to do what they say they're going to do. If you need something to do with animals or you need to get some food or something needs to happen or clothes need to be bought, everybody's got their own little department in which they do things. And Kent relies on these people to do things. He doesn't want to be hands-on with every single thing out there because Kent's already got enough on his plate. So when, if you were to come up with him and say, we need food for the animals, he's like, well, you need to go talk to this person. We need help with technology. Well, go talk to this person. And that's how it works. If you need to talk to someone about God or some of the things that his subject matter he's skilled at, then you talk to him. That's how it works. It's a ministry, folks. And it's a different kind of ministry than the usual because he's not just working Wednesday and Sunday like some preachers, but he's always day in and day out dealing with people. That's how I understand it, at least. What more do I need to say about all this, folks? What more do I need to say? I think at this point, a lot of you get the picture. But let's see. We've talked about Mark Stoney. We've talked about Cindy. We've talked about Mary. Well, there is one more person. There, There is a couple more things. We're going to talk a little bit about the Chris Jones thing, about Sayer. And we'll also talk about Julia. Let's start with Julia first. Julia was one of the many people that Cindy claimed were witnesses. Did you know that 90% of the people that Cindy claimed she was going to bring on the show told me they didn't want to be there or they wouldn't even engage me or respond? And they didn't want to be on Cindy's channel anymore. They didn't even want to do it. 90% of the people that Cindy claimed were witnesses did not want to testify for her. That ought to tell you something. It wasn't until towards the end she got this Julia girl, who supposedly was a former secretary, to step up for her. As I said on my radio program, Julia had a dark past. And she told me about it before we even did the show, and I even told Cindy, bad idea to bring this young lady up on the screen. And Cindy's like, why? We're all sinners. We all do wrong. Well, the girl, her mission and objective was to attack Kent's marriage and how he treated Cindy. Okay? But, unfortunately, the girl herself committed a sadomasochist sexual act with a employee named Steve on the same property. Do you see what I mean? They recorded sex pornography videos with one another apparently according to the recordings steve was tying her up and spanking her ass they were having that uh, bdsm or whatever the hell it's called 
It was some sick shit, folks. We're talking pigs and animals and all kinds of freaky stuff. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's completely as it is. But Julia did admit that there was some disgusting, nasty porn stuff done. While at the same time, she's married to a Christian man, a very nice, good person at that name, Nick, who was working for Kent and also trying to do his own thing in life. While this is going on, she's out there banging one of the employees. So you can immediately understand why the hell I thought that this was a bad idea. Cindy, what are you thinking? You're wanting to bring this girl up who's committed adultery repeatedly on her damn husband. This isn't a good idea. This is going to damage your, your case that you're trying to make. But Cindy didn't care. Cindy cared so much about herself and about causing as much deep impact and damage to Kent's life. She didn't even give a rat's ass that she was going to also damage this girl in the process who was trying to save her damn marriage that fell apart because of the adultery. Do you see what I mean? That's the type of character she is. She didn't give a damn about this girl's life and about what was going on. She knew full well that that girl was going to be exposed for all of Christians and social media, and she would, this would be held over her head for the rest of her damn life. And that was it? That was smart? What do you guys think? Okay, so let's talk about something stupid Kent did and why it happened like it did. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to some people, but let's point out the facts here. The Chris Jones ordeal. So, Kent is the type of guy, like I said, where he doesn't need to hear your whole story. All he needs to know is that you're doing better and that you didn't do what it is that you claim, what's been claimed against you. Most of you may not realize this, but Kent Hovind, according to Chris Jones himself, never sat down and looked at his record. He didn't know shit about Chris Jones on that matter. All he knew is that he cared about Chris Jones, just like he cared about all the people that he worked with. Chris Jones told him that he was innocent and that he was framed, and I suppose because Kent feels like he was framed a long time ago for the tax bracket structuring bullshit, which, to be honest with you, I don't know or understand a whole lot of that nonsense myself. I don't give a damn. I've heard plenty of people get screwed over taxes. So as far as I'm concerned, that went out one ear out the other on that. But Chris told him that he was innocent. Kent Hovind 100% believed him and is convinced. And to this day, nobody knows for sure. We know that it's documented by courts that this is what he was accused of, but I really don't know. I also know that there's a couple different accounts here, but according to Chris Jones, after talking to him, the only thing that Mr. Kentoven was aware of was the one thing, the strip poker deal. For whatever reason, Kent Hovind decided that he didn't want to hear the whole damn story. As long as Chris Jones held that he was framed and he was innocent, that's all Kent needed to hear. To him, it's like a brother or sister telling you, hey, I didn't do this. I was framed. Well, because it's your brother or your sister or it's someone you care about, you give them the benefit of the doubt, which is exactly what he did. So it was out of naiveness, it was out of ignorance, it wasn't deliberately that he wanted to put himself in that. And to this day, I don't know all the whole picture of the Chris Jones thing. 
To me, that's a whole different story altogether. That's a completely different animal. I bet if you were to sit down with any followers of Christ in any church or ministry, you're going to find out everybody sinned at least once or twice or did something stupid in their life that ended up jacking them up. But that's beside the point. So Chris Jones ended up bringing this little boy named Sire down to the ministry. And Chris Jones represented the concept according to the adulterous Kentovind as well as the ministry and the staff. He said he brought the boy down because the boy wanted to meet Kentovind one. Number two, he wanted to get him baptized. The belief was... You bring him to the Christian minister, and the minister saves him, gives him salvation, and then they baptize his ass in a lake down there somewhere, okay? So Kentovin, already believing that the man is innocent, never did anything wrong in the first place, and he's not a sexual pervert, he immediately thinks, wow, that's great. He feels like he gets the opportunity to do a service for God. He's not trying to run some kind of pedophile ring down there or do something ignorant. To him, it's a matter of, you got a boy here, I can save them, I can baptize them and bring them to the Lord. That's that's how Kent Hovind's brain works, folks. It doesn't go into all these dark, imaginary things that a lot of you have come up with in your head due to Cindy Lincoln telling you stories, all right? So Kent, he does this. But unfortunately, the story ends up with uh, Chris Jones in a bed. Now, according to the staff and according to what we know, nothing sexual was actually done with the kid. They simply shared the same bed. There wasn't nothing dirty that happened in the process. This is from what I've heard from all people. On both sides, nobody knows all that happened on that and I'm not going to use my imagination to try to determine worst-case scenario on this. I'm just going to go with what Cindy said, what Kent said, and what they all say from what they experienced down there. Sayer ended up leaving with Chris Jones, and supposedly he ends up with his mother where he originally was, and they live happily ever after. This happened a couple years ago, folks. So... The kid is now not a child anymore. The child is a teenager at this point. It's been a few years, so he's probably 16, 17 years old, going to high school. And the concern is, do they want to put this kid on camera? Because if they did, it's going to end up exposing this kid to all of his fellow students and people out there. And they don't want to put the kid in a bad way, and neither does the mother. If you really, really want my honest opinion, I think it was dumb. I agree with Kentovin's staff that it was dumb to have the kid down there in the first place under them circumstances. That should have never happened. But do I believe that that kid is buried in a hole somewhere, sitting in a gravel ditch? No, I don't. I don't believe that. Cindy's got a couple different valid points, and her most of her valid points are the same that Mary had. Kent made some bad choices. He hired some bad people. He put some people in positions that he trusted, and he was naive and ignorant about it. And that's that. That's the end of the story, ladies and gentlemen. That is 
what I get from it. At this point, I don't think that Cindy really gives a shit about the truth or the facts anymore. I think this is all about attention, and she's going to keep doing the shit over and over. She's never going to stop. Kent has actually authored that once she takes a restraining order off, if they want to talk things out and work out some kind of compensation or just discuss things, they could as adults, but she don't want to. One last thing I'm going to say, too. She's telling you all that he beat her up and abused her. But did you know that she waited nine, ten months before ever mentioning anything? She actually went to the doctors, and I think it was a chiropractor or something, and she asked some guy named Freddie. I don't know nothing about this dude. I think I may have heard him in the background once or twice. But she actually asked the guy, should I say that he did this? She actually was trying to see if a person that she thought was her buddy would go along with a false accusation. Well, apparently he wasn't willing to, and he didn't. In fact, I was almost about to interview him a while back where he would have basically dropped the mic on her ass. She's lucky that didn't happen. So a lot of Christians out there, you wanted to know the facts. You wanted to know the truth. You wanted to know why it is that I sided with Kent, Sandra Hoven, and all the supporters of that out there. You understand and there are people out there who did once support Cindy Lincoln who also had the same experiences as me. Mr. Charles, he noticed that whenever he disagreed with her or questioned her story, she became manipulative. She got ignorant with them. So that's why he sided. That's the deal, folks. So if any of you out there, you doubt me or you doubt Father Charles, who's a priest, by the way, and you decide you want to engage her, test her out. Test her. Take her, on a, t- take her on a test drive. Question her. Get deep into the conversation. Ask her, well, what actually happened? Can you describe? Can you define what happened? And watch how her attitude changes. If she thinks that you're not 100% on her side, she'll wipe her ass with you and throw you in the wastebasket. She doesn't want to be your friend. She doesn't want to get along with you. You're only useful to her if you're willing to take her 100% side in a smearing campaign against Kent Hovind. And what's ironic about it? She repeatedly claims that Kent Hovind is a narcissist that's self-absorbed and only cares about himself. The truth is, she's the fucking narcissist, ladies and gentlemen. She only cares about herself and her own story. Do you guys remember what happened whenever I did that last show? I told them all at the beginning of the show, Kentovin's going to come in here and we're going to work this out in a godly manner. We're going to take turns discussing and everybody can ask their questions and work things out. But whenever he got to the backstage and he was ready to talk, guess what happened? She denied his entrance. She didn't want his story to be heard. She wanted it all to be about her. I don't want him up here right now. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm not done. And when she did that, that was the last straw, ladies and gentlemen. Because we all agreed before we even started the show that Kent was going to come in and everybody was going to talk things out. I wanted everything to get worked out. 
I wanted it all to be done and settled. No, make him wait. So we made him wait, just like she requested, demanded. And 15 minutes went by. She wouldn't shut the hell up. She just kept on going. He sat out there for almost 30 minutes, folks. And then finally, when he got exhausted and he was tired of having mud slung at him, he left. And you know what she did? Let me show you how manipulative and what a liar this, this piece of trash is. No offense, folks. He's a coward. He ran. Ran from what? He wasn't given the opportunity to defend himself. He was sitting there for 30 minutes, folks. 30 minutes. And it was going to be one against five, six people at the same time. And he showed up, folks. He showed up to the sling down. No. I don't want him up here right now. It's not his time. It's my time. You see? So I am 100% on Kent Hoven and Sandra Hoven's side. They've been nothing but kind to me. They never once told me that I need to stop. They said let her have all the time that she wants. But then whenever it came to his chance to do his side, no. Do you see how irritating that is, folks? All right, let me know what your thoughts are, folks. Be honest with me. If uh, Oh, and by the way, there there is one last thing I need to point out. I've noticed that all the people who support Kent Hovind, they all have videos on their channel. They all are part of the community. They all socialize. I've seen what almost every person who supports Kent Hovind looks like. They show themselves in video. They show themselves in screen. There's only a couple people who were willing to show what they look like that were going against Kent. Mark Stoney was one of them. He's obviously a courageous person. But if you look through the comments at the people who are criticizing Kent Hovind, notice none of them had even bothered to make a picture on their account. They don't even have an avatar. They've got no videos, and they say nothing about God whatsoever. They just stir the pot. Oh, don't give up on Cindy. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. As far as I know, ladies and gentlemen... Those sock accounts could most likely be Cindy Lincoln, basically making it, giving the appearance that there's people who are supporting her that are not real. When I asked these people to show who they really were, they go, oh, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to just keep doing what I want to do. A sock account is when someone creates an account and don't put any information on it or a picture or a video. And they use that account to stimulate aggression, violence, aggravation. They basically are there to stir the pot. And damn near every one of those things are supporters of Cindy. And no way to be able to know if that's actually a real person or if it's simply Cindy doing that all herself. I wonder why that is. God bless.